and welcome to you. <clears throat> My name is Mike Bartlett, one of the pastors here. If you are new, um, we would love to get to know you. We have these little connect cards in the back you could fill out and um, love to get your contact info, uh, get to hear a little bit more of your story, buy you coffee, would love to hang out. It'd be great to meet you. Um, and we are in the middle of a busy fall season here. The weather is turning nice and crisp and cool. Uh, the apples are out, the donuts, the cider, all the good stuff. And we are in the middle of our prime kind of ministry season here. And so I have a whole series of announcements, uh, stuff that's going on. I'm trying to keep them fairly brief and not to bore you to death here. Um, they're all on Slack if you missed one of them um, on our primary communication channel. So you can always scan barcode, get yourself on Slack right back there at the door as you're walking out. Um, but a couple things, membership class today, if you are new and if you're kind of kicking the tires here at Redemption City, seeing if this is the place for you, you should come check us out. We're doing a membership class um, today, we'll have lunch right after the gathering, and so you can come, no registration required. I think we'll have enough food, fingers crossed here, but um, come, hang out with us, that'd be great, even if you just come for the first session, that would give you a little bit of an overview of what we're doing here at the church. So membership class today, right after the gathering. Um, this upcoming weekend, we have a men's retreat um, going on Friday and Saturday. And so if you haven't registered, I think there's still some slots available. You might be sleeping in a tent. I don't know. But <laughs> you may be outside. But uh, men's retreat, great time for the guys to be hanging out um, together as well. And then there is a parent equipping and commissioning going on in a couple of weeks here. Uh, October 16th and 23rd here at Redemption City Church. We have a ton of kids, you might notice, as they're all wandering downstairs. Um, and we love all the children in our church. And so a lot of churches do a baby dedication at Redemption City. We do a parent equipping. We think the parents are the primary people that are going to be entrusted with these young souls. And so we want to spend some time equipping them. We're going to jump on Sunday night, October 16th, for quick Zoom talk to give you, as parents, resources. So put the kids to bed, and then we will give you an hour of time uh, to throw out some of the best resources we have and we could put into your hands and for you to ask any questions you have about parenting. We want to kind of enter into a partnership with you. And for those that go through that process, that parent equipping, we're going to be then commissioning them on the next Sunday morning here in our gathering, praying for the parents, praying for the kids, uh, that God would be working mightily in their lives. So Parent Equipping Commissioning coming up, so yeah, stay tuned to Slack for more information on that. And then I think um, last one I got on here is third quarter numbers. It's October. Believe it or not, this is totally shocking. We're, we're already into the month of October, but wanted to give you the quick third quarter numbers, big picture view here. Um, our year-to-date budget, what we should have brought in at this point is $190,500. Our year-to-date actual giving is 168243 and our year-to-date actual spending is 182000 A few things to notice about that number. We set an ambitious budget this year because we really wanted to see our church grow, both from having a new facility, buying this building, and bringing on some extra staff to support the work of the church. So we set an ambitious goal for our small little body. And we are, the good news is, we have had record giving so far. We have the most biggest giving year we have ever had to date. So 
thank you for your incredible generosity. Um, it's just really cool to see the church step up to that. Um, but you notice we still have a little bit of a shortfall, and uh, going into that final quarter, um, usually where we have our biggest giving in the year, so that's usually a good thing and a good encouragement. Just encourage you, uh, if you uh, found Call This Church Home, I appreciate the ministry here, uh, great opportunities to help us meet those budget goals by the end of the year. And so you can kind of see both the yearly breakdown and then the monthly to where we're at. Just just a little gap there to close by uh, the end of the year and pray away, but hit those targets. But wanted to put those before you as our uh, church family, and uh, and I will close right there with the end of those uh, announcements. But And I'm going to have our scripture reader come on. And thank you, Janie. It is so good to be here this morning and so exciting to be studying uh, the life of Jesus in Mark's gospel in a series we are calling Amazed by Jesus. I hope as we have been walking through this series so far, you have had moments just where you're like, man, Jesus is amazing. Just struck by uh, the life he lived, uh, the way he interacted with people, his deep compassion, uh, so many things for us to see and enjoy in the life of Jesus. And one of the things Mark loves to do in his gospel is capture people's colorful responses to Jesus, right? From those moments of awe and wonder to the more, um, you know, darker pictures here. Uh, this morning in our text, we, we get to, Mark is going to give us a, a picture of Jesus being rejected by his own family, his relatives, and his hometown. Mark gives us the full breadth of responses to uh, Jesus. And so this is one of those stories where we're going to see um, rejection by his own family. We also see in the next section uh, his disciples respond uh, beautifully and step out in faith, and, and we see them going out in power. And so we have these two scenes here, two responses to Jesus side by side. One through six, Jesus' rejection, and then seven through 13, this beautiful picture of Jesus' disciples uh, going out to do the work Jesus has called them to do. And so Mark sets these stories side by side for us. Why is he doing that? What I want to suggest to you for this morning, that the big idea in this text, in these 13 verses, is that Jesus' rejection in his hometown prepares his disciples for Jesus' Departure. This this moment in Jesus' ministry when he is rejected by those Numkosi is what sets the disciples and prepares them for Jesus' departure to be the people God is going to call them uh, to be. And so I pray this morning that as we read um, this text, we too would feel and sense uh, our opportunity uh, to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world, to be like Jesus' disciples sent out on the mission that he's called us to. And so, yeah, let's start with some prayer this morning. Father, um, pray this morning that you would very much meet us in the midst of this text as we deal with uh, the weighty subject of Jesus' rejection by his own friends, his own family, his own hometown. Uh, Father, would you help us to would you minister to the deep wounds that we carry, the wounds we feel, God, as we uh, maybe think and reflect on uh, the rejection maybe some of us have experienced in our own lives, how confusing and disorienting a rejection uh, could be. God, would you help us to see 
uh, Jesus this morning, with his beautiful response to the rejection that he experiences, the way he uh, lives out his life before us on display, God. Would you rivet our eyes on him? Would we be amazed and astonished by his grace and his mercy and his kindness and the way he turns this rejection into an opportunity for the mission of Jesus to move forward in the world? So would you meet us this morning? Uh, Would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit and speak to your people through your word? Put all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start here by looking at Jesus' rejection by uh, the hometown crowd. After a whirlwind ministry tour uh, where Jesus has stilled storms, cast out a legion of demons, and raised the dead, Jesus returns home. And we expect, right, that he would be greeted as the hometown hero, right? The village kid that made it big, right? He has been... You know, surrounded by crowds all over this region of Galilee. Um, and when Jesus begins his ministry at the synagogue on the Sabbath, everyone seems to be impressed, right? If we pick up the story here, if you're following along in your Bible, in chapter 6, verse 2, we read that on the Sabbath day, as was Jesus' tradition, right? he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him. How are such mighty works done by his hands? And so we're like, all right, the hometown kid, he's, he's arrived. And everybody's like, whoa, Jesus, he's finally here on the spot. Um, this kid grew up, man, and, and he made something of himself. And so it seems like, right, Jesus is going to get the welcome that he deserves from his hometown crowd. But this quickly turns, this warm welcome quickly turns to contempt when they consider his humble beginnings and family origins. Notice what we see here in verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters among us? And they took offense at him. This is a pretty startling reaction. Here Jesus comes home to the people that know him best. And instead of being impressed at his growing fame, they think that all this celebrity has gone to his head. They couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that the local carpenter is claiming to be building the kingdom of God. That the village handyman is claiming that he's not only able to fix tables and chairs, but also fix everything that's broken and fallen In this world, they can't wrap their minds around the fact that the local kid is now being called the Son of God, the Messiah, Israel's King. It's just a little too much for this local crowd that grew up around Jesus to wrap their minds around. So Mark tells us that they were offended by him in the ESV. They're they're offended by Jesus. This Greek word, scandalon, anybody say scandalon? Scandalon. It just rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? It literally means a stumbling block, right? Something you would trip over. They, they see Jesus and, you know, because of their relationship with them, because of their familiarity with him, because they grew up with him, they just trip over him. And Mark uses this word throughout his gospel eight times in his gospel of people's negative reactions to Jesus. Jesus becomes a stumbling block, something 
about him. And in this case, right, it's just the fact that this community knows him. They're familiar with him. They think they understand who he is. And so they find that they are, they are stumbling over Jesus. They're tripping over Jesus and his audacious claims, the word, the good news that's spreading around about him all throughout the community. And not only is the hometown crowd, but his own relatives and family seem to be saying the same thing. Isn't it interesting? They say, hey, we've got his brothers here. Like, who does he think he is? I mean, we know his brothers, his sisters are right here among us, right? They don't think he's the son of God. They don't think he's the Messiah. Like, how is he coming off, you know, if his own family doesn't receive him and accept him, why should we? Um, and this seems to line up with what we heard all the way back in Mark three twenty-one. If you remember a few weeks back when we were studying this text, Mark 31, and when his family heard it of all the miracles that he was doing, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. So, so Jesus' own family, Jesus' own brothers, Jesus' own sisters, um, the people that should have known him best, right? They're the people that should have been celebrating what God is doing among them. Instead, all we see from them is skepticism, offense, and a total misunderstanding of who he is. They're, they're too close, too familiar with Jesus to step back and understand what God was doing right before their very eyes. And uh, we might be, well, we might be tempted to dismiss, I think, the family's response, right? Clearly, right? You know, we are so far removed from Jesus um, as to think, right, there's no chance that this could happen to us, right? How could we be that familiar with Jesus living 2,000 years later, uh, halfway across uh, the world? But in an area like Grand Rapids, right, in our little Bible belt, our own little Jerusalem, right, where, where so many people, right, live in this little cultural bubble of Christianity, I think similar dynamics are at work, right? Cultural Christianity produces the same familiarity with Jesus that quickly dismisses him, right? Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, you know, that didn't work for me. Um, If I had a quarter for how many times I talked to people in our city who grew up in the church and kind of wandered away, you know, moved from really conservative churches that are out in the suburbs, moved into the city, and, you know, are just kind of in that you know, very common deconstruction quest right now for so many of them, right? It was this familiarity with a Jesus that really wasn't that impressive or really wasn't that much worthy of worship. And people are constantly, right, moving away, walking away from a Jesus they think they understood, but maybe really haven't come to grasp. Uh, The author Dallas Willard says it this way in The Divine Conspiracy, he says, the major problem with the invitation now is precisely over-familiarity. Familiarity breeds unfamiliarity, unsuspected unfamiliarity, and then contempt. People think they've heard the invitation. They think they've accepted it or rejected it, but they have not. The difficulty is to hear it at all. And so Mark's authoritative account of the life of Jesus gives us a beautiful opportunity to hear that invitation afresh today and build our lives, as we already sung this morning, on the real Jesus, on the true Jesus. But we've got to stop for a minute and pause, right? If maybe, you know, showing up to Sunday morning here, and you guys all look great, you know, you came dressed in your Sunday best, and you're, you're doing your Jesus thing, and you showed up faithfully, congratulations, you're here. 
um, but that we would just kind of go through the motions, that, yeah, Jesus, of course, and then we get back to football or whatever the, whatever the next thing on your schedule or agenda that you're already starting to think about in your mind, just wandering a little bit, like, what is the pastor talking about? You know, what do I got on my schedule for Monday morning? Like, you know, we get this familiarity, right, with Jesus, and we just go, yeah, check that box and move forward. This story is a deep warning, deep caution, not to get too comfortable with Jesus, not to get too familiar with Jesus, not to think we know who the real Jesus is, because we could totally, totally miss out on the life he has for us, right? If we simply settle for maybe uh, uh, the merest veneer of Christianity, just a cultural Christianity that is devoid of the power and majesty and beauty of Jesus. So in this first scene, Mark helps us explore the problem of over-familiarity with Jesus and also how Jesus faced rejection. I think this is a powerful, powerful thing. I don't know about you, but rejection, man, is something that's really hard. Um, Think about the moments of maybe rejection in your own life, you know, whether those are, you know, rejection for a sports team or a club or a career or a raise or maybe in a dating relationship. I was thinking about sharing a few humorous stories on that line, but, but I'll spare you my, uh, my not very interesting. Uh, but we all have stories of rejection, but maybe the deepest rejection wounds that we feel, right, are rejection by our own family, right? People that are, and that's what Jesus is facing today, a, a kind of rejection from the people that he grew up with, like his own brothers, his own sisters, his own friends, his own relatives, the people in the community. I don't know how you deal with rejection, but but people often deal with rejection like in a lot of ways, right? Anger being a primary one, right? Withdrawal, I'm, I'm getting out of here, I'm checking out. Uh, maybe renewed attempts to impress those who rejected them, right? right? We all respond to rejection maybe in slightly different ways. Um, maybe my favorite comes from a, a galaxy far, far away here. I have a little uh, slide here with, uh, with Darth Vader here I'm going to pull up here. This is maybe how I would respond to rejection, I find your lack of faith disturbing. And then maybe start to kind of, <laughs> kind of do a little chokehold or something on that. Like, come on, guys. Like, this is the hometown here. Like, you know, and this is their response to Jesus. And yet Jesus has got a very interesting response to their rejection, right? He's not angry. He's not frustrated. He doesn't throw over any tables here. Um, what we see from Jesus is, is typically to Jesus, a beautiful and refreshing response that I hope will be encouraging to you as we think about the rejection and the pain that we face and deal with in our own lives in some of the most painful and sensitive places. Notice what Jesus says in verse 4. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household, and he could not do, and he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. This is Jesus' response to rejection is so interesting to me. Everything about Jesus, like, you know, we just need to have eyes to see and to reflect on who Jesus is and his incredible response to what must have been one of the most painful deeply wounding experiences in his own life as a human being walking 
through rejection, right? And what does Jesus do? He quotes a common proverb, right? A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and his own household. This was a, this was a saying that was common in the Greco-Roman world, in the Jewish community as well. It just become kind of proverbial knowledge at this point. And what Jesus is saying, he's, like, he's recognizing that people don't always want to hear the truth. They don't always want to hear a word from God, right? And this is what a prophet does, right? They bring a word from the Lord. They bring truth to bear on an audience, and they don't want to hear it, especially from someone they don't think has any business claiming this kind of authority, right? That Jesus is bringing to them a word from the Lord, a word for them to wrestle with and squirm with and really have to deal with. But Jesus, like any good prophet, right, he's calling his hometown to repentance, to return to God with their whole hearts. He wants to welcome this hometown crowd home, but they aren't having any of it, right? I mean, how heartbreaking this must have been for Jesus, who grew up among these people, who loved these people, who had served these people, and wants to see the kingdom of God come home in their lives, and they're just having none of it. Isn't it amazing sometimes how the hometown crowd can be the hardest crowd. Maybe you know in your own life, your own family, right? Your own relationships, those friendships maybe are the hardest relationships that you have to walk through because they know you. They know your background, they know your history, and, and they can discount everything you have to say. But instead of being angry at their rejection of him, going Darth Vader on them all, he marvels at their lack of faith. And I spent, I don't know how long I spent this week just thinking, what does that even mean? Jesus marveled at their lack of faith, right? These are the people that know him best, but because they're like, they're going to miss out on his mighty works. I think Jesus is just, he's just, he's just astonished. Like, you guys know me so well. You've seen my life. You've seen my background. You've seen me launch out on these works. You've heard the stories, Stilling storms, raising the dead, casting out demons, and you guys are going to miss out on what I'm doing? The people that know me best, that love me the best, are going to be the people that miss out. I think Jesus is just flabbergasted. He's, he's saddened. He's devastated that the people that he wanted, I'm assuming, right, the people who love the most, wanted the most to experience the power of the kingdom breakthrough in their lives, to experience his mighty works, to see God's kingdom advancing, God's work on the move. These are the very people whose hearts are so hardened that it says Jesus could do no mighty work among them. Not that Jesus was lacking the power, but he wasn't there to do some razzle-dazzle magic show. His miracles were there to demonstrate his identity and where you have people whose hearts are just so hardened to the gospel that he's preaching, right? The miracles mean nothing and do nothing. And so Jesus just lays his hands on a few sick people and heals them. But it's a massive disappointment. Here he is going home to Nazareth, to his hometown, amongst his own friends and relatives and family. And nothing comes of it. I don't know about you, but I don't take rejection well. Any of you guys like rejection out there? It's a, it's a, man, and I don't even like being a prophet. Like, I mean, I'm a rather reluctant prophet, right? Because telling the truth can be hard and people don't always want to respond well. And so that can be a difficult task when, when God charges you with difficult topics and difficult word 
for people. But if we're to follow Jesus, we too are going to experience rejection, perhaps at the hands of the people who know us the best, perhaps at the hands of people that we grew up with, with friends and family. And some of those relationships can be the most difficult, right? I know just in my own conversations and relationships, those people, you know, in some ways I'm like, man, I'm glad I moved from Pennsylvania. I live in Michigan now because I don't have any family around here. And so I can kind of, there's a lot of freedom in that in terms of my ability to just like, I don't have a background. I don't have that history to walk through with people. Uh, But I know many of you have that burden. You're walking alongside of friends and family. And even if you aren't like me, walking alongside of them right here in Grand Rapids, right? You know, maybe all over the world, the difficult relationship back home or wherever your family has spread off to. But this is one of the areas where uh, I just want to look more like Jesus in my life rather than being uh, frustrated and irritated by people's lack of faith, to be astonished, to be sad, and to marvel, right? That people don't want to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world, don't want to be a part of his story, to have more curiosity than animosity towards those that struggle with the message of the gospel, right? That's Jesus' ministry here. I mean, he does not call down fire from heaven on on this city, as his disciples try to do in another story that we'll get to at some point along the way here. Uh, But Jesus is just so gentle with the people in his life and his ministry. Uh, And I love just his beautiful heart for those that are close. I want to see that be more part of my character, part of the life of our church, that we would look more like Jesus in our interactions with those that really struggle with Jesus or or have an over-familiarity with Jesus or just kind of, you know, phoning it in every week, that we have a sympathy for those people in our community that need to be awakened to who Jesus is. Jesus' rejection in Nazareth, far from setting his ministry back, sets up the next phase in Jesus' discipleship strategy. Jesus is already preparing his disciples for his departure. Right? And so this rejection for Jesus is no great surprise. Right? He knows where this is going. And so he takes this teachable moment to send the disciples out. He's like, I'm not going to be here forever, guys. You're going to have to get out and do the ministry and learn how to do it on your own. And so we see in these next verses here, verses 13 through, or verses 7 through 13, uh, we pick up the story here. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. If any place will not receive you and will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. In chapters 1 through 5, Jesus has been the one teaching. He's been the one performing miracles. He's been the one casting out demons. But here in chapter 6, Jesus sends out the 12 to do what? Essentially the same thing, right? He's saying, all right, guys, you ready? It's time for you to get out there and start preaching the message of the kingdom, calling people to repentance, engaging in spiritual warfare, healing the sick. They're going to do what Jesus is doing. Does that uh, make you nervous at all? 
thinking it should. It should, because that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. This is a discipleship boot camp. This is like a short-term missions trip. Jesus is sending these guys out to go, okay, you've been hearing me talk. You've been hearing me do the thing, doing the cool stuff. But now, guess what? You guys are here. That'd be like me saying, next week, you guys are up for preaching. Who wants to be, uh, who wants to be up here next week? Delivering the sermon here, calling people to repent. So Jesus is turning the tables in a pretty radical way on his disciples. This is the next step in the training process, right? He gives them clear instructions and then sends them out in pairs, and then they're on their own. They're going to go do ministry on behalf of Jesus. They're going to do what he was doing. And of course, they don't do it alone. He gives them his authority, right? They don't get to do this on their own authority. He sent their authority, his authority, to engage in spiritual warfare, right? To, to heal and the sick and to preach this beautiful message. I love it. He tells them to travel lightly, um, none of the, take none of the extra provisions to just go, accept the hospitality people give you, and then come back. So this is a short-term mission trip. There are some people that have tried in ministry to keep these instructions today to the letter, um, and that would be incredibly difficult and foolish and not the point of what Jesus is doing. Jesus is giving a very short-term, like I said, this is short-term. This is not a long-term mission trip, okay? You might need to raise some support if you're going to go to another country for a long period of time. Like you might actually need to take some clothes with you and pack some suitcases and some books, hopefully, you know, if you're going to go. But like this is a short-term trip where, where they're going to be sent out radically to depend on Jesus, to receive the hospitality that they're given from the people around them. So they don't need food. They don't need extra clothes. They don't need lodging, any of those things. They're just to go out and do ministry. Uh, and if there's demonic opposition, cast it out. If people are sick, heal them. But their primary ministry is to carry on the teaching ministry of Jesus, to preach about the kingdom of God and call people to Repentance. Following Jesus means not only believing in him, but doing what he taught them to actually do, right? And this rejection in Nazareth proves an opportune time to release the disciples to do ministry with the recognition that he's not always going to be there with them. They're going to have to learn to do his work out there as his disciples on the field, and he does mercifully send them with another person. And so they've got some support, they've got some encouragement, they have some fellowship out there in the field along with them. But this is brilliant. This is classic Jesus, right? And this is how all kinds of learning happens, right? If you know, if you're a parent, like, you don't just tell your kids, you know, you know, today I would like you to do all of your chores, you know, wash all the dishes, clean your room, you know, maybe mow the lawn for me, and then just sit down on your big lazy bear and turn the football game on, right? That's, that's not how discipleship happened. Wouldn't it be great, parents? <laughs> Can I get an amen? If you could just tell your kids, Here's what you need to do. Here's the list, and then watch them go. No, you have to send them out to do the work for themselves and then watch them try to figure it out on their own, try to try things. You've got to correct them. You've got to instruct them. You've got to say, man, maybe you could have done this a little bit better, right? But there's a process where they have to do it. They have to be immersed. And this is the same with parenting. It's the same with learning a trade. Like, you could go to school all day, you know, to fix houses and fix cars, but until you actually get out there and actually do the work, right, you're not going to trust the surgeon, right, who, who has never actually operated on a body. Hey, I got, I got four years of medical school in here, but, you know, I've never actually uh, done this surgical thing. Do you want to be the guinea pig? No, no, you actually have to do it. And that's what Jesus is saying. To be disciples, to be real followers, genuine followers of Jesus, you have to actually 
get out there and do the work. You have to actually call people to repentance, right? To come home to God and to repent of the silly things that are distracting them in their lives, the unhealthy things that are currently holding them back. You have to be able to engage in spiritual warfare. You have to be able to recognize that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against these spiritual authorities. You're going to be ready for that. You're going to be ready to care for and heal the sick. This is exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. Uh, So great question here. When was the last time you stepped out in faith as a disciple of Jesus to be about his work? When was the last time you were like, yeah, I just, I went out and did that. Maybe you didn't, uh, maybe you didn't necessarily go out here on a little mission like the disciples. Could have been a short-term missions trip, maybe. Could have been something like that. Um, Could have been a church activity. Um, could have been a neighbor or a friend where you stepped out and were able to minister the hope of the gospel to them, maybe a coworker in a difficult place or position. But like if we're not doing the thing, right, if we're not actually engaged with the work of Jesus, we're, we're not real disciples. And so Jesus is pushing us out, calling us out. It was really fun, uh, quick testimony this week. It was really fun. Uh, our church has been trying to do this um, laundry ministry here for the last couple months, we've raised all this ton of money. We put all these washers and dryers down in the basement because we were like, we just want to welcome the neighborhood in. And we just want to be able to do ministry here like Jesus did ministry with people in our neighborhood and in our community. It was so cool through some connections in our local body to build some relationships with some people that are working here in the neighborhood and then to see a whole bunch of people coming out from the neighborhood this week to do their laundry, to get some food, to have conversation. So I get, I'm down there just mingling, chatting with people, talking about laundry and, you know, about how exciting it is that this woman saved $17 on her laundry bill and talking about Jesus and the gospel. And I'm just like, this is like, I'm out of my office. I'm not in the study. I'm like hanging out with people from the neighborhood. Like this is so exciting. And so, so cool to see the work happening here in just, and just be able to be a part of what God is doing in the world. So Props to, to Jamie and the team there working uh, some of those things together. But what is it for you? Are there opportunities you've been able to be a part of Jesus' work this week here? And so give you some time to, to reflect and think because Jesus didn't, yeah, just call us to be disciples, to show up in church on Sunday, just listen to sermons, but to be a part of that work too. So use your imagination as you think about what that could look like in our context today as a church as we you know, send people out, support people, pray for people in so many different venues, so many different careers and callings, uh, opportunities, so many people at home with kids, so many beautiful opportunities to be a part of that great work of discipleship. This here, folks, is like the huddle, right? <laughs> this is not the game, right? This is we're huddling together as a church family, but, but the game is out there, right? It's out there in the world as we are sent out by Jesus into the world. We, we gather on Sundays Right, to be encouraged in the gospel, to be reminded of the gospel, to celebrate the gospel. But the beauty of the gospel always has this centripetal motion. It sends us out into the world with the beautiful hope of Jesus. And so Jesus' rejection in Nazareth may seem like an anomaly among all the amazing things that he's doing around Galilee. If you've been following the text, you'll be like, wait a minute, Jesus getting rejected? Like, this is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. Uh, but it foreshadows something far more sinister, right? His ultimate rejection by the people. You see, early in Jesus' ministry, things are looking good, right? Vast crowds have been following, and incredible miracles have characterized his work. 
Only the religious establishment and his own family and hometown seem to be opposed to him. Right? It seems like Jesus is going to carry the day. His ministry is going to sweep across the country. And the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in in power. The Romans are going to be cast off. And God's kingdom ushered in. But Jesus is not impressed by the acclaim of the masses. He knows how fickle it is. Even here in this rejection by his hometown, he can see the cross casting its shadow over his ministry. He knows that he will ultimately be rejected by these same adoring crowds. He will be abandoned by his own disciples and left to hang alone on a Roman cross. And worse still, he will face rejection by his own father as he carries the weight of the sin of the world. There is no more heart-wrenching cry of rejection than Jesus' cry on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's something so powerful about Jesus' willingness to grow to the cross, to be rejected by everyone, including his own father, so that we could be welcomed into his family, so that we could be accepted. That, that rejection is our ticket to acceptance into the family of God and the mission of God. And that rejection by Jesus, his willingness to face the weight of all of our sin and all of our foolish decisions to take it all upon himself is what steadies us, right? When we encounter rejections of our own along the way in our journey and our walk with Jesus, recognizing Jesus has suffered the ultimate rejection so we could be accepted into a family relationship that cannot be shaken, right? That cannot be taken away, that cannot be revoked. Our acceptance with the Father has been stamped with the blood of Jesus himself. And so we walk in that acceptance. We live in that acceptance and we minister out of that acceptance. Jesus resolutely went to the cross so that we could be welcomed into his family. So the door could be cast wide open for us to enter in. And he rose again, triumphing over death so that he could minister to us as our faithful high priest who understands our struggles with rejection, right? If you have suffered with rejection, if there's deep wounds in your life from rejection, Jesus, right, he understands, he gets it, and he is here to minister to us this morning, which brings us to uh, the Lord's table, right, where we celebrate the warm welcome that Jesus extends to us. And so as we take some time to gather around the Lord's table today, I want you to meditate, maybe think through the wounds that are in your own life, the struggles that you have walked through. And so I'll invite the worship team to come on up here. And I want to 